some kind of disturbance. I'm gonna go check it out. We request that everybody stays calm at the current moment. Who are you people? I want a coffee! You, you, you are now to 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 Where love and life come together. Come together. From the Spacebird Media Studios, it's Roxanne and Ace Unlimited. Hey, we're Roxanne and Ace. This is Unlimited. Welcome to friends, family, and a little fun along the way as we uh, get a chance to share with you our hearts for our love for Jesus. And, of course, thanking our friends at My Brother's Cup and Birmingham Mortgage Group for coming. I'd like to welcome to the show Princess Lavender. (laughs) Yeah, everywhere I went today, they were like, oh, wow, you're like a purple explosion when your top (laughs) matches your hair. Now, like, don't forget the little white and green streaks, okay? And we had a good laugh. And this little lady at the pig, Piggly Wiggly, was like 4'11". She walked up to me. She says, beautiful purple lady, will you come down here and help me get these peas off the shelf here? Because she was tiny. And I took the peas down for her, and I said, how tall are you? She says, I'm 4'11". She says, I love your hair. I said, thank you. She goes, I'm looking forward to being tall in heaven. I said, I'm looking forward to having hair in heaven. And we had a good laugh. (laughs) I love that. Speaking of tiny, you guys had a celebration over the weekend with Wayne's mom. What was that all about? 90, 90. Wow. Yeah, that's really, and what a life well lived. Heritage Baptist in Montgomery honored her 45 years of teaching Sunday school, and that's nice and everything, but they did something that made me projectile ball, and I know you're not surprised by that, but they asked the congregation, and they have a big church, how many of you have been impacted by Miss Margaret? And two-thirds of the people there stood up, people who were children that went through her class, whose children went through her class, I mean, if you think about the legacy of love for Christ, and it just, it was so moving. Oh. Mm. That's fantastic. I mean, 90, I hope to make it to 90, you know, from my <laughs> mouth to God's ears. Uh, but uh, it looked like a cool celebration. And um, imagine that, like, kid, the, the, you think that, you know, like teaching Sunday school doesn't do much. But to think generationally, you know, you get kids and then they become parents and then their kids go through, I mean, just good for her. I'm I'm excited. Uh, looking forward to this week as we get you caught up. We've got a great guest coming up a little bit later uh, in the show, but uh, we're going to start off talking about my favorite subject, the Holy Spirit. You, when I first met you, and you would tell me all day long, the Lord said this to me, and I told the Lord this, and we had this big conversation, and the Holy Spirit this, and I was like, oh my gosh. This guy is so tight with God. And at first, as a new Christian, maybe you don't remember this, Ace, the Holy Ghost, I would think, what What is that? That's a bit of a mouthful. The Holy Ghost says. (laughs) Well, and I I think a lot of that, and and not to under-spiritualize the growth that I've had with my relationship with God, but also to go through a season where you you felt like you heard him, and then it wasn't right, or you it was, and you kind of misinterpreted it for your own gain because of what you thought should be happening in your life. So when you get to that 
place where you realize where you were wrong, you're excited about when you're right, when you know that, okay, I can distinguish the sound of the Holy Spirit versus my own agenda, my own voices, and to be able to, you know, not let the two shall meet. Like, it's okay. You know, when it when, when the Bible says that, you know, we're supposed to surrender to God's will, I mean, there's time and time again of that, you know, through prayers and so forth. Listening to the Holy Spirit, I remember when my daughter was six and she prayed to receive Christ, I said, now explain to me what just happened. And she said, I have Jesus in my heart so that he forgives me for what I did and the Holy Spirit will keep me from doing bad things after today. And I thought, if a six-year-old can grasp that, why can this old man with sideburns <laughs> from the 70s not be able to comprehend what that meant? And so that was a big turning point, but it still took me a while for me to be able to really discern that voice. And I think there are misconceptions when it comes to that, and one of which is that the Holy Spirit comes in spurts. And and this is where, and no offense if you've prayed this way, because I've done that, and no offense if this is how you've thought, but we want to lift that veil because when you walk into a church or you even walk into a room, the Holy Spirit's been there setting up shop all week. You're the <laughs> one who showed up in spurts. You came Sunday to Sunday. Maybe you came on Wednesday night. Maybe you came for VBS, whatever. But we misconceive the fact that we think, oh, Holy Spirit, come in now. Like we have to welcome. Like, no, no, he's been there all along. Well, and we have to understand that it's a long-term relationship, as you were mentioning, that is honed by learning and praying and listening to the voice of the Lord. And the Trinity can be confusing, three in one. What does that mean? But Jesus said, we're going to have a friend that is with us always to talk to us and to lead us and to guide us. Isn't it wonderful that when we have a sense we shouldn't do something. We have a moment to choose not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And I used to think, is the Holy Spirit crying? What's the grieving? But I, I do think the Lord doesn't want to see us sin and really hurt as a result of sin. Yeah. Well, and I think the thing, too, is the Holy Spirit's not working in a spontaneous, you know, haphazard way. You know, the Holy Spirit knows what God's will is for each of our lives, so as we surrender to that and say, okay, whatever is the greatest outcome for my life, then I need the Holy Spirit to guide me and protect me and all those things, which he will. But again, thinking on it from the standpoint of that Holy Spirit, God and Christ can see your life from the full 360, whereas we have tunnel vision. We can see what's right in front of us. And then in time, we start to see it. Oh, so when you step back from where you are right now, you can see where God lined certain things up, and the Holy Spirit helped you through that. But again, we try to take so much credit on our own. Look at what I've done, you know. But also, look at what I've done. Like, it goes both ways. And we have to remember that these are not just haphazard, willy-nilly things that are happening in our lives. There is a plan to everything that's happening. An experience I was ministering to a gang, a gang member, a member of the Bloods. And he had just gone to eat, and he was a drug dealer, he told me that, and he had just gone to eat with, with the homeless, you know, offering food from the local Episcopal church. Mm-hmm. And he said, I really don't know why, but now when I go eat with them, I feel guilty because I have money, but I don't want to spend my money on the meal at the church. 
but it makes me feel horrible and I don't understand why. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever said a prayer out loud to accept Jesus as your savior? He said, yeah, I did that when I was in jail. Mm. And I said, well, guess what's happening? You don't want to take from the poor. Mm. And, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you yeah. when you put that hot dog that they're serving in your mouth that you know, or when you go into an elderly person's home and steal from them. He said, oh, it makes me feel horrible when I do it. I said, look, good. Yeah. God is talking to you. And of course, mm. you know how touchy-feely I am. I'm sure. like, can I touch your chest? He's like, oh, lady. Princess close talker, yes. Yes. And I put my hand on his chest, and I just said, this is where the Holy Spirit of God resides. Mm-hmm. And he was like, wow. Mm. He's like, listen, let me tell you something. Nothing will ever happen to you while you work at this outreach. Yeah. He said, I don't know and understand everything you're saying. He said, but I can tell you're real. And I said, any good that you see in me is because of Christ. Mm. So good. <laughs> we love it. We love it. And and it's a great reminder, too, of just how you know tender and secure we can be. So I, I love that. That's a, that paints that picture of that. It's not this big, mighty, holy ghost, you know, with Vader breath. <laughs> I have come for you. It's not that. It really is that gentle, comforting, you know, fall into Because I remember as a kid, I was actually, I had a friend posted the other day a meme of this movie poster that I saw. And, and if you grew up with this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There was a movie the churches showed back in the day called A Thief in the Night. And it scared the crap out of all of us, all our Gen X's. We were like, "Ah," you know, and I remember like my thoughts of God, Jesus, Holy Spirit was that I I, like they're going to come down like a Dementor from Harry Potter and consume my face. That's what I thought as a child. Right. (laughs) That's what this painted for me in my heart. But it was through time and through time with God that he revealed that I'm not a big, scary God. I'm here to comfort you and to take care of you. And so I, I love as we as as hard as it is to have those onion layers peeled back of who we are and who we once were. It's nice to peel back the layers and see who Christ is and see who the Holy Spirit is so that we can breathe and we can be at that peace because I know as I get older, I, I, I don't want to be in fear. I don't want to be in fear of him. I don't want to be in fear of things or other people or situations, but just to have that rest. And so I love that we're talking about this because like I, I have my, you know, my miraculous medal that I got from work that is of the Holy Spirit. I sleep with it on, like I take it off just to shave and then I put it right back on that. Like it is always with me. I sleep better as a like result a metal? of this. Like a yeah, it's, yeah. I don't oh, know that I've ever it? even shown it to you. So <gasps> It's my no, little Holy have. Spirit. So yeah, it's my wings. And so it's always on. So that and my cross is always with me because it, it brings me comfort to know that when I'm in a situation where either I'm frustrated or, you know, inconvenienced or, you know, being tested in some way, you know, it's that, that the Holy Spirit is always there to say, ah, and we can just breathe through that moment. Beautiful. Well, I know that God is first with our friend Turan Newell, that he prays with people, that he cares very much about being a person of high integrity mm. and about helping people truly 
become homeowners. And it just dawned on me, that's our biggest expense, isn't it? I mean, yes, some people are out buying a boat, but I mean, your house, wow. (laughs) And you really want to make careful choices and you really want to get an interest rate that is going to serve you well in the long term. And if you've never bought a house, it's daunting, it's scary. Mm -hmm. And you were saying, we don't wanna be scared. We've got a great way for you not to be scared. You can call Turen Newell at Birmingham Mortgage Group. Yeah, Turen puts you right at ease, and then you start to see all these programs that he has found and not necessarily created, but he's found a way to get them to you so that you can get the best interest rate. You can get in with probably little to no down, and at a time, whether you need to refi or get that dream home or first home, the summer's the time to do it so you're in the right school zone and district trick for your kiddos or to start your family. So let Turen put your mind at ease. He is a godly man and loves helping families get what they need. So set up your appointment today. Call him 205-259-1656, 205-259-1656, or go to behammortgage.com. You mentioned, Ace, that it is summertime. A lot of people are flying or getting ready to, and a flight attendant wants to go over with us some etiquette rules. And one of them, I I had no idea, and I've been rude, So, but we'll get there. She says, everyone has the right to decline, but there is a polite way to do it. If you just whack your chair back, coffee is spilled, you know, things go everywhere. The polite thing to do Mm -hmm. is to assess what's going on with someone behind you and say, hey, I would like to decline my chair. Is that okay? That is what they want you to do is just ask. Yeah. I I will say I'm so nervous of even like just the awkwardness of that. I just always leave mine kind of set up. Right. (laughs) And then, you know, now if the person behind me has, you know, leaned their chair back and they're not like right there in the back of it, then maybe I might go like one notch back, but I've never, I honestly, I've never asked, but I love the idea of, Cause here's what I think would happen. I would have a conversation and then I'd be like turned around trying to talk to the person behind me, which only annoys <laughs> the other six people around us. <laughs> so, so I'm just like, I'm just going to take my iPad and, you know, watch my Ted Lasso episode and my little earbuds. I'm good to go. Well, the middle seat gets both of the armrests. Now this is a revolution to me. Really? Let me just say, I have been on planes where I'm trying, I'm in the middle and I'm trying not to put my, look, you're like this for two. I went to California like this and I could have had both of the armrests. They belong to the middle person. How about I didn't know that? Yeah, I I didn't either. I was glad to hear that because there's been times where (laughs) I, I, I would like go back and forth between them based on how the body language of the persons on the side of me was because I mean, I, if I have a choice to pick my seat, I always take the window. I want to be able to see out. I like, you know, once the plane is in the air to, as long as it's not people trying to sleep, I'll raise it so I can get a good, you know, picture of above the clouds. Cause you're not up there very often, right? You know, it's beautiful. And I'm a sucker for a sunrise or a sunset, or if it's been thunderstorms, like you get up there with the sun and you're like, wow, this is like Superman, you know? <laughs> and so I'm, that's kind of me. But if I can't pick, we do need to know these etiquettes. One of the ones that I think we forget about is that putting your baggage over the seats, you're not playing Tetris. 
Like the music's not, shouldn't be playing in your head and you're not trying to like, you know, get it in there and, and, and you shouldn't have like 10 million bags. Like that's why they say you get one carry on and then one for the overhead bin. But I try to, I mean, I'm a dude, right? Like I pack as light as I possibly can. Like if I can just get it in one, like even an overnight, stick it under my seat, I'm good. Cause I feel that it's like an eighth grade awkwardness of like being picked last in kickball. Like it just feels obnoxiously <laughs> weird to me, which is a part of, and you know this about me, which is why I don't like to fly. I don't like going through security. I don't like the awkwardness of getting onto a little, you know, and all that, you know, can barely seat us all. It's the whole process makes me feel very anxiety. And I don't normally let things bother me, but flying does, but we need these etiquette rules so that we're not making it more obnoxious for other people. And see, I'd fly every day. I think it's that my mother was a flight attendant. Maybe it's in my mm. blood, but the big thing is keep those socks on. Feet outer. Oh. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know that I've ever been in a situation where someone had that they took their socks off, but I could see where this and, and maybe it's the pandemic that's changed how I see all that. I'm I'm just everything's hygiene, like always, you know, with washing hands and like keep to yourself and like even even with now, you know, having vaccinations and stuff, we still see people flying with masks just because they want to be safe, which I get it. And it's it I, I I'm not one of those mask wearers when I fly, but I appreciate the fact of someone who is. So I want to be respectful of that. So again, just, you know, be respectful of the other people around you because we're all trying to enjoy the best summer we can. Absolutely. Well, Ace, I have an assignment for you. You are all things tech. You're the guru. I, I know for some folks it's a podcast and you can't see it. Perhaps you can do a Google search, but. Jennifer Aniston as a toddler created through AI has to be the cutest thing you have ever yeah. seen in the world. A couple just wanted to be creative. They're in Italy and they took, they love friends. They watch it on Netflix and they said, Hey, we want to see what baby Rachel Ross, Chandler, Monica and Joey and Phoebe would look like. I mean, like three years old. Right. Oh, I, I will say my. These are cute. And as a Friends fan, you know, I, the, the, it's fun to see. But I love that now we have AI at our disposal. And last week we were talking about how people were freaking out that it's going to take over and the whole fear like Terminator that it's coming after us. And we're doing goofy things like this. Like, it's AI. Why are you? It's not just here to play chess. Like, you know, what are the creative and, you know, more life affirming things can it actually do for us? Well, they call it mid-journey, so I've got to go look for it. And what they've started doing is doing, you know, baby Donald Trump. That would be frightening. Baby Leonardo DiCaprio. And people love it so much they're sending photographs. They do say without certain prompts, the mm -hmm. person looks odd. You right, know. right. So they know, of course, they're going to say that because they're creating these things for people. And I'm sure there's a price tag connected to it. But how adorable. I want to see baby Ace like three <laughs> with through the AI with the fedora. Well, I already did. I mean, for those that are on our Facebook page, which you should find us, Roxanne and Ace Unlimited, if you're on Facebook right now, uh, you can scroll down a little bit and see where we did. We at, we described ourselves to AI and asked AI to then spit out pictures of what they thought we look like. 
and you know they they got exaggerations on some places and yeah, like you know ample <laughs> chest i was like whoa what happened? yeah i was like man i was like it's almost like they really know us, but it's it, it's it's fun to do, and and it is one of those things where I think it as we learn because it's still in its infancy, right? There are things that it can do that are just playful and it's fun, and maybe it's just nostalgic for now. But at some point, can it be that you know, like I know you know when we're planning vacation, like I've used the chat to go, hey, can you give me the top ten restaurants? And then list the place where we're going. And then it gives them to you with reviews. And so it goes beyond what just a normal Google search can do. So I'm I'm on board for the things that are are good. Let's let's use it for a good superpower, not a villain superpower. So how are you really today? Let's look at it. Psalm 50, 15, call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall honor and glorify me. Where in there is any confusion? I will deliver you. If you're facing trouble today, we've had a lot of laughter in this show and we love that. Yeah. But we're also here to realize the difficulties people are going through just to make ends meet. Somebody sick in the family, a wayward child, a situation relationally that you don't know how to deal with, a divorce. You and I have been down that road. Yeah. I felt like my skin was burning off my bones. Divorce hurts so bad. It yeah. hurts so bad. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the thing. A lot of times when you're trying to figure out in the midst of your own, like helping others, like people say, well, you know, we're supposed to be Christ-like to others. Well, I'm dealing with my stuff and my headspace is all weird. but if you're dealing with your stuff and you know you're hurting, nothing's different with someone else that you have an opportunity to hurt or bless. But I love the fact that if I rise above whatever pain or whatever struggle that I'm feeling and help someone else, it does change what I'm dealing with. It may not be a solution. It may not be a resolve. And it may not just be a one day done and over with. But again, if I can take the focus off of myself to help someone else, it allows me to stop thinking about me for a minute, you know, yeah. to be overwhelmed. And, and, and again, you go, well, you only do it so you feel good about yourself. No, I do it because that's God's commandment to us. We are to love God and love others. But the thing in that is that I like when I don't think about me, like just release it when you, when you have lost sleep or you don't have much of an appetite, or like you said, money's tight or relationships are strained. How do we rise above help someone else through their pain? And I think that's the part that I hope that, you know, we talk about being unlimited. That's what I want us to do this year and this summer is to be unlimited in how much we love other people. Well, you mentioned unlimited, which is the name of our podcast. And I've been admonished. And so I want to bring it to your attention. I've had folks say, you know, I, I love watching you on YouTube, but I don't know how to subscribe and I don't know how to find you. Yeah. And if you would in the podcast, just clarify that for people who aren't as savvy as Ace McKay, <laughs> it would help me. So I promised you yeah. would do that. Would you do that for yeah. us? Because people want to know when a new episode comes. Sure. Well, and we say it probably too quickly, but it's true. Wherever you like the podcast, just subscribe. So if you're listening on Apple or Spotify or iHeart, just click the subscribe button. And then every Friday, it'll notify you when new episodes. Same thing on YouTube. If you go to our YouTube channel, 
click the subscribe so that when new episodes drop and honestly, we kind of, I'm, I'm a little too meticulous about it. Like it's at midnight on Friday. So you can listen as early after, you know, midnight as you want, but just simply click that subscribe button. Or if you're following us on Facebook, we always remind people, Hey, new episode today, take it with you, stream it, share it with your friends, and hopefully you'll be blessed. So hopefully that simplifies things for you a little bit. All right. When we say share it with our friends, how can we do that? How do so, we share it with our friends? So whatever app you're listening to the podcast on, there is a either box with a little arrow or it'll just simply say share. And if you click that, it'll give you options. So what app are you wanting to share it to? Are you wanting to share it in your stories on Facebook or straight to your feed? Or you want to share it on TikTok? Like there's all these places that you can. And then from there, hopefully the world is encouraged by whatever we said that week. <laughs> just kind of goes from there. Share it. We mm-hmm. would just love that. Help us to grow. Yeah. Help us to reach more people. We would absolutely be honored if you would mm-hmm. do that. We're Roxanne and Ace Unlimited. Excited when we get to have guests on. And as someone who has been a part of church plants for probably most of my faith-based life, we're excited for this week's guest. Yeah, and wow, he's got the experience, knows what he's talking about for sure. An adjunct professor, speaker, trainer, coach. He's been helping to plant numerous churches throughout the years and has what I think some original thoughts about how to effectively do that. And he's written a fascinating new book. It's called Word and Sacrament, Ancient Traditions for Modern Church Planting. So we're thrilled to have with us today, Dan Alger. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Roxanne. Thanks, Ace. Uh, it's, it's good to be with you for sure. So as a guy who's planted churches, I'm going to come in with straight with that mindset. Yep. And, and I love that you're lifting the veil of that we don't need purple lasers and smoke machines <laughs> to win people to Jesus. Can, <laughs> can, can, can we just clarify that right now? Yeah, well, you know, that, that's one of the things we're talking about in the book is uh, is that the gospel should be compelling in itself. Uh, I mean, just the news that the, that the God who created us has also come to redeem us and die for us and rise again and give us the Holy Spirit and is coming back um, mm. to make all things new should be compelling in itself and doesn't need us to dress it up. We don't need to make it boring, but yeah. but uh, but doesn't need us to dress it up with those kind of things either. And it's enriched, you say, by deep traditions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things about church planning is that it can feel on its surface like a very entrepreneurial endeavor. We're starting something new, but really we're carrying on a tradition that's been going on for 2000 plus years. And uh, and so we're not the first Christians who have ever lived. And it's really great to get the voices of those who have gone before us to speak into our modern contemporary work. And that's what that's what tradition and uh, ritual, uh, liturgy, sacraments allows for us to do. Yeah. So Dan, start there. So for someone who's maybe, you know, this is the summer that God's finally opened the door for them to start a church. What's kind of a checklist of things that we can learn from the early church that we really should do that kind of simplifies it for us? Yeah. Well, I, I, my, my first advice to anyone who's going to, to plant a church is, um, is to have the mindset that when you're starting a church, that we don't begin with, uh, with innovation. We actually begin with submission. We be- begin with submission to Christ. We begin with submission to the scripture, to what the church is. Uh, and again, that we're carrying we're carrying that on. And so what we see from church history is that church planting 
has always been a natural part of the life of a church, um, a local church and the church universal as well. Uh, and it's always been a communal effort. Sometimes we see things right now very much as an individual going to plant a church and so much pressure is on that individual planter's shoulders and they kind of become a celebrity planter pastor. And, but, but that we see throughout church history that it's, that planting a church is a communal endeavor, something that should be about the people of God being on mission um, and something that should result not only in big Sunday morning worships, worship times, but, um, but really a holistic church that has to do with what the church is, all the things that a church is about. We're not planting worship services, we're planting churches. And so service, worship, evangelism, um, discipleship, pastoral care, all of the things that the church has always been about are the things that we should be looking at as we're planting new churches today. And we see that in throughout church history. And then the, the rehearsal of what it means to be the church in our, in our activities, such as liturgy and, uh, and worship. You come from an Anglican background. That's, that's right. uh, and some people aren't familiar, although you're, you're what, right? Second to Catholicism. Yeah, third. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're the third. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like 85 million. It's a lot of people yeah. are yeah. Anglican. Yep. And liturgy is very important. Sacrament is very important. And rather than somebody saying, well, that didn't apply to me, I'm sort of non denominational Christian. You say in this book, it really does apply to all of us that every church has an order. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I think that's one of the things that we can learn too is if we're going to look at planting a church, we should ask the question, what is church? What I mean, in a theological world, they call it ecclesiology. What is our ecclesiology, our study of the church? And uh, and when we look into church history, it would be a very modern innovation in the church to not see the sacraments as a as a major part of who we are. I mean, even um, even if you just start church history at the Reformation of the 16th century, they would define the church as a faithful group of people where the pure word of God is preached and the sacraments are duly administered. Is that is sort of the reformed definition of what a church is? Um, and so the practice of word and sacraments. Uh, is is worked out oftentimes in our public worship, and and as you said, Roxanne, every every church has a liturgy. Every 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 church has an order, a vocabulary, a way of going about things. If you go in most churches and say God is good, then the people will say all, all the, time, the time, right? That they they know that <laughs> they know the back and forth. Um, there's a there's an acceptable way of raising your hands or not raising your hands or all of those sort of things, and uh, and. In traditional liturgy, really what that's about is, as it's been formed over the course of church history, is really using the word of God in our worship. That's what liturgy and the words of a more formal liturgy do, is, is puts the word of God in uh, in in uh, in a form that we can speak together. So the, the majority of our prayer book as Anglicans, 85% of it is, is direct quotes from the scripture. Um, and the rest of it is either paraphrases of scripture or teachings based on the scripture. So, so that's really what liturgy is about is repeating back to God, the words that he's given us about himself so that we have a clear picture of who God is, who we are and how we interact with one another. Well, and what's great is even when we don't all go to the same church, but we're all coming from the same liturgy, literally the conversations we could be having at work or in the grocery yeah. aisle on Monday could yeah. be, you know, oh yeah, I really enjoyed church today. Oh, what did you think of? And then they mentioned the passage or the gospel reading or whatever. Now mm -hmm. their pastor may have taken a, a different creative angle, which is sure. great. That's that's yeah. what they're there for, yeah. right? 
Yep. But mm-hmm. I, I, I love the meeting of the minds that we're not as separated as we feel like we are when you just put a title of whatever church you go to. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah. And one of the, one of the things I'll, I'll highlight what you just said there too, Ace, is, um, is that when we talk about tradition and we talk about liturgy, it, it doesn't squelch creativity. It's not, mm-hmm. it's never meant to say it to, to tell the Holy spirit that the Holy spirit can't move in powerful ways or, mm-hmm. or to say that there's, there's no new innovation or creativity within the people of God today. It, we, we really see it as, um, sort of a, uh, a trellis that can hold the vine, right? That, yeah. that it gives an order and, uh, and a health to the vine and to shape it like it needs to, but the life is really in the vine. And so, so, so bringing about, yes, different ways of communicating the scripture, art and music and all of, all of the contemporary expressions of who we are today and who God is making us today can sort of co-mingle in with the ancient traditions of the church. And then the ancient traditions of the church keep us in between some railings that, uh, so we don't innovate ourselves into unfaithfulness, um, but allows us a lot of room to move within those railings so that we can be creative and, uh, and, and expressive in who we are today as well. As more people are choosing not to go to church. Yeah. And and that's a fact. I mean, I just read it in the New York times this morning that people are identifying as nuns. They have no religion. And it, it makes sense that atheists have decided they're never going to go back to church. I mean, yeah. why would they do that? Yeah. Why would you encourage somebody listening right now who hasn't been to church? That was me as an adult. <laughs> no, I just, yeah. and then I found Jesus and everything changed yeah. and needed to be in church, wanted to be in church. But why would you encourage someone to plant a church in these difficult times? Yeah. That's question one. And then someone who's watching and listening right now who says, I'm done with church. Mm-hmm. I'm tired. I have church hurt. Yeah. What, what's the point of going to church? I can watch a sermon on, you know, we're on YouTube. Yeah. I can watch it there. Yeah. What are the reasons we should be invested in planting churches and going to church? Yeah. Well, two really big questions there. So I'll, I'll take them one at a time. Um, I mean, it, why we're planting churches is that, uh, one is that it's it's a command for us in scripture to to plant churches. What we see is um when when Jesus gave the great commission in Matthew chapter 28 to go and make disciples, well, it was the apostles who heard that. And so if we look at how the apostles went about the work of fulfilling the great commission, they planted churches. We see that throughout the rest of the book of Acts is is the planting of churches, evangelism that leads to church planting that uh and then then the majority of the the rest of the New Testament is either letters to uh, to leaders of those churches or letters to the churches themselves. And even Revelation, the first part of Revelation is, is letters to seven churches, right? So the church and the gospel are, uh, you can't separate them as I have the gospel, I don't need the church. The gospel and the church are inextricable from one another. Um, mm-hmm. And so we plant churches, one, as a command from God, but then two, we just, we, we see there are many, many denominational studies have shown that that planting new churches for a variety of reasons is actually our most effective way of reaching the lost. Um, that that churches that uh, are less than ten years old, the the up to eighty percent of their growth tends to come from unchurched and new believers. Um, and uh, whereas it starts to flip after ten years, where eighty percent of new growth in churches that are ten years old and older tends to come from transfer growth from other places. Both are needed. Both are important, but. What that teaches us is that if we're going to really want to reach the lost, we need to we need to be about planting more churches. Um, 
some of the best articles on this, if someone just uh, Googles Tim Keller's article on uh, why plant churches, uh, the who Tim Keller has recently gone to be with Jesus, just wrote the quintessential article on this. You can explain a lot of those things. I talk about it in the book as well, justifications for planting. But so those are the major reasons why the missional effectiveness and just faithfulness to Jesus. But for someone then, uh, for someone who would say, I just, I'm done with church. I've been hurt by the church. Uh, I'm not going back to church. I would call them to, uh, if they're at a place where they say, I'm a Christian, but I'm done with church, I, I would call them back to the scripture to be able to say, to really encourage them to say, uh, the fullness of the gospel is found in, in a community that learns how to have grace and reconcile with one another, that learns how to find healing together, that God is really saving a people um, and a covenant people. And he's bringing people into that covenant through baptism uh, and belief and repentance. That, But he's, but we are meant, we've always been meant to be a people together. And an isolated sort of free radical Christian um, is not doesn't know the fullness of the gospel. Gospel. And for people who would have that, I've been hurt by the church. Um, uh, Kurt Thompson, who is a uh, is a is a wonderful Christian author and psychologist and such. He, I, I interviewed him once and was talking to him about this. And he said, when he works with folks who are feeling this way, he tries to help them to see that the church doesn't hurt people. People hurt people, um, and and so individual people hurt people or even groups of people can hurt people, but the church, it's impossible to hurt folks. And if you say the church has hurt me, then it's impossible to be healed from that or ever to forgive anyone or ever to, to be reconciled. And so to try to help people say, yes, individual people, that's legitimate. Individual people have hurt you. So let's talk about how the gospel heals that hurt and, uh, and restores that hurt in that, you knowing that kind of forgiveness for yourself and giving it to others can actually be life-changing for you. And uh, and for your family and for your community, for those who are who are not Christians who say I'm not I, I identify as none now, uh, they're coming from a lot of different standpoints and a lot of different reasons that, of what got them to that place. That's not just an instantaneous decision. And I think what really brings those folks around is a lot of real, true relationship that says, you know, the word hypocrite is thrown around a lot. Uh, uh, of I'm not I'm not a part of the church because they're a bunch of hypocrites. And say, so, well, a hypocrite is somebody that's not what they say they are. And if we say we're a bunch of sinners in need of uh, repentance and forgiveness and who are trying to love others well and trying to bring about the, the, the grace and compassion and truth and love of God to the world as well. And we do that in ways that, that we need a lot of forgiveness because we mess it up as we go. That's not, that's not hypocritical. Um, that's uh, uh, because when we mess up, we say, Oh, I told you I was going to do that. Right. That's, yeah. that's part of it. And so I think just a, just a, a recasting of what are they reacting against? What are they saying? I'm not connecting with anymore. And to try to reestablish an understanding of what is church, what is the gospel, who is Jesus. And a lot of that is a lot of time and effort of just really, truly, honestly, loving people. Well, Dan, I wanted to ask you because I've not only been this person, but I've also, I know a lot of people in this place right now is you've got those that have planted their church. It's not growing or it's the whole, you know, 80, 20 rule where 20% of the work or 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, they burnt the candle at both ends and they're like, you know, we have all the latest and greatest and we're, you know, using social media and we're, you know, we have everything we thought, you know, God was providing for us and it's just not working. Talk to them, encourage them to keep going. What do you say when you are just fried? 
Yeah. Oh, um, uh, I mean, first of all, I, I just love church planters. This is why I'm in this work. I, <laughs> I love church planters and, uh, and love, they give so much and they sacrifice so much. And the only people who can really know the, the suffering that church planters go through is other church planters. Uh, you just, it, that, um, um, and, uh, and, and so one, I would say, this is what I tell our church planters all the time. First of all, I just want you to know that you're not alone. You're not alone. And if you are alone, you don't have to be um, that whether it's a denomination or a church planting network or um, uh, or if you don't have anyone else in your circle, reach out to me. Um, I would love to just be able to come alongside of you and connect you with other folks so that you're not doing this by yourself. Um, sometimes that place of of getting out of that rut requires training, finding, OK, I need I need a coach to help me get through this. I encourage every church planter to have a coach. I've had one for for. 15 years and will continue to um, have a good coach that can help get you out of that. Sometimes getting some training helps. Sometimes, sometimes counseling helps as well to just know uh, when, when you're taking too much on yourself and getting to know your own inner workings and your own um, sort of besetting sins that are in your own life as well. Um, and then sometimes you need to take a vacation. Um, uh, I encourage our church planters every year, right from the beginning, take, if you can, and most people can take July off as a church plant, like the whole thing. And people, church planters go, I could never do that. So yes, but if, if you organize your church plant so that you're building teams, mm-hmm. so that you, um, so that you're equipping the saints for the work of ministry, so that, uh, so that it's not dependent upon you, then you actually can take July off. And if you actually can't, then you should reverse engineer that and go, okay, what am I doing? That's making me so pivotal to everything. And what do I need to give away? So sometimes you just, you have to rest. You have to take a day off every week religiously. Mm -hmm. uh, And you have to, you have to take a month off in the summer. That's what I encourage them across the board. Well, you were so generous mentioning people could get in touch with you that need help or just want to connect. What is the best way to do that? Yeah, there's a couple of different ways. I um my my I have I wear a couple of different hats. I'm the canon for church planting for the Anglican Church in North America. That just means basically director of church planting. Um, and so they can find me through our organization always-forward.com. Um, and uh, there's a connect form on there that that they can get up with me as well. If uh, if they're in our local area uh, here in Greensboro, North Carolina, as well, I'm the uh, I'm the dean of the cathedral here. Again, another Anglican term, basically senior pastor of the church. Um, but of uh, RedeemerGSO.org. Um, and they can find my email on there as well. Um, or I have a website too, danalger.com. And any of those places, you can also find the book um, that we've been talking through as well. Um, but that's how they can get up with me. That's great. Dan Alger has been our guest. The book Word and Sacrament is available. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. It would also be a kick if you would check out mybrotherscup.com. It's a gorgeous website. All of the coffees are good, but I just feel like mine's kind of the best. It's (laughs) called the Roxanne Blend, and it's got pecan and butterscotch, and it smells happy, and it tastes delicious. It sends missionaries all around the world, so it proclaims the gospel of Jesus. It's a great gift. It's not expensive. I keep telling, hike up the prices. They won't do it. They won't yeah. do it. <laughs> well, and and normally Roxanne gets her way, so that shows you right there that you know for her not to get her way is kind of a surprise. Uh, but uh, definitely subscribe uh, if you want to go to our website roxanneandace.com or simply just go to mybrotherscup.com and click on the Roxanne blend and tell them you heard about it on Roxanne and Ace Unlimited. So I'm anxious to hear what you think of this Ace. 
a woman in England named Lauren, now she is gorgeous, got really tired of the dating apps and decided that she would make every man who wanted to date her submit a 500-word essay to date her. And her big message was, do not waste my time. I think every woman should adopt this as a philosophy. I even what? shared it with my daughter, me. I was like, hey, your your new curriculum when you start dating is a 500-word essay from every boy who comes to the door. And, of course, she rolled her eyes and said, whatever. But I think it's good. I think it's necessary, especially as adults. If you're in a situation where you're adult dating, you don't feel like you're finding the right person because you can't get everything you need from a little description or a Facebook post or you know, even from a photo, you don't know what kind of person you're getting ready to go out on a potential date with. A 500-word essay would give that to you. Well, I wish the thing had a happy ending. She picked out the best essay and didn't like the guy. <laughs> so he's a great writer, but he's not dateable. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I love everything about that. Thanks for hanging out with us this week. Hopefully we have uh, inspired, encouraged, or given you something that uh, helps you to encourage your walk with God. We will see you back next Friday. Have a great 4th of July weekend. Roxanne, I love you. I love you too. You've been listening to Roxanne and Ace Unlimited. To make sure you don't miss future shows, you can subscribe anywhere you like to podcast and catch up on anything you've missed. Find out more at RoxanneAndAce.com. Roxanne and Ace Unlimited is a production of Spacebird Media.